Welcome to a special edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast. My name is Matthew Turner alongside Stephen Collins and with us we have a very special guest, the return of Nick Baumgartner, co-host of one of these years from The Athletic. Nick, it's been some time. How are you doing? Yeah, what's going on guys? How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it's a busy time it's of year for season, me. Right? Yeah. yeah, oh god, it's yeah. so good. I love it. <laughs> um, just want to get one thing off our chest to start with. We have one day left of our giveaway. So if you're listening to this now, I'll make sure it's uploaded before it finishes. But you can win a Lembani mini signed helmet on there. You can get a Calvin Johnson rookie card on there. Or you can get Barry Sanders graded card. It's free to enter. Link in the description below. Just do it. It doesn't cost you a penny. All right, let's get on with this. And just to start off, Nick, I just want to take you back to the 2022 season and just discuss yeah. how you thought it all went. I mean, it was it was all going to pop for a while, and <laughs> you know there <laughs> were was. there was a vote of confidence from the owner, which is never a good sign. Never good. Never no, good. and then we started <laughs> winning games. And yeah. I mean, I guess when it comes down to it, do you think that we are are we the team of the first seven games? Are we the team of the last? 10 are we somewhere in between where yeah that's a great question i think it's like i think it's more of the last 10 but it's probably more in like the middle of that than than people are probably willing to you know admit to themselves because they did get on a little bit of a run there i mean they had some things go their way you know they had some losses in there and that's why they didn't get in but i think by and large it was a very productive season and it was like for me when it ended i uh, I kept saying on our show, like I was just really glad for them that um, that they stuck to their plan and their process, and it worked because I thought, and you guys know this, like when um, then we're one and six, and everybody like the vote of confidence or whatever, what everybody was like, oh my god, what are we doing? And then they traded uh, Hawkinson, and I'm like, look, if you look at that move just on its own, what it is, that was a fantastic. I thought that was a great move, and what it allowed them to do moving forward, sort of open things up for other people. One thing leads to another, and then everything sort of takes off. And they stuck to their process. They never panicked. They never bailed on anything, you know. And that was the coolest part, I thought, that, you know, two years into a really tough rebuild, um, they stuck to their guns pretty much every time. And it's it's pretty much worked out almost without exception here so far. And just to, taking you back to that point, that one and six point, just before the Green Bay mm-hmm. game, obviously, like, we're a bit of a distance, but... From right. you, from your your perspective, how did it feel at one and six? Like, oh, yeah. Were you kind of always, com- were you always like, this is going to turn, this is going to turn, just waiting for the game, or was there a point when you yourself were like thinking, this could get ugly <laughs> yeah, fast? I... Well, even further to that, did it get to right. the point where you had pre-written a Dan Campbell get sacked article? No, no, never there. Articles, no, no, never there. I never did that. That was never to that point because, um, no. And I think that it wasn't surprise. It was awkward. You know what I mean? But like to Steve's point, like, yeah, I kind of did. I kind of did wonder. I, I was for the most part like this This is going to turn and they're going to be better than people realize. And that's what I thought. I thought they were going to be like a six win, something like that. You know, it's going to turn. They're going to win some games at the end of the year and you'll see where they're at. And you'll have you'll have a I kept saying 
people have a better idea of where they're going when the year ends and they do at one and six right now. Cause this is just, as, this is a lie. Basically. I'm like, this is not who they are. However, there was a little bit of that creeping in. Cause when you're here and you're in Detroit and you're around it, man, like, and that's when the, that's when the true negative stuff comes up. And it's, it was, I remember a year ago. And I think that I feel like this got them into a funk too. The first season when someone asked them along the way, are you worried that you're not going to win a game? And it was like the fourth or fifth week. And I was like, oh, God, why are you asking that? And then I feel like it got into their head, you know, like little things like that around here happen. And so I did. I did have a couple of like the, the Green Bay game. I was like, they need to get this one. When I remember talking to Colton, when I was like, this this needs to be a win. It can be a win and it needs to be, you know, a good day. And it was. And that was one of those. That was a that was an interesting day for sure, I'll say. Yeah, we we kind of stamped it twice against them with statement victories, which was great. Our thanks to Giovanni Lyons for our first ever Super Chat, by the way. Thank you, Gio. That's great. And to Dan for subscribing at Tier 1 on Twitch. Appreciate you guys. Um, Let's talk about the progression of um, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes from then up till now. I mean, obviously, you said, you know, they're stuck to their guns. They believed in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Do they didn't deviate in their course but do you think they're getting better in what they're doing as well i'm not sure whether that really played a part or whether they kind of just um regressed to the mean a little bit as well but do you do you think that they're improving in their skills because it's kind of hard to judge that's you're you're there yeah i definitely think holmes is i definitely think holmes is and i think that you know he had when he's confident in himself and he like you know is full of confidence and is not worried. And I think he, like anybody, there have been times I feel like he, some things have happened that were just way off. You just out of left field, you never saw him coming. And I wouldn't say panic or whatever has ever entered the fray, but like you could tell where maybe there was a couple of times they'd made decisions that were like, ah, I don't know if that's quite what you wanted to do maybe, but you had to do it. But for the most part, I think when you look at everything they do and then you look at what they've done this off season and the sort of how it's led to this, it's like, man, like I just, the Jamal Williams thing, how they were able to move off of him with the plan to have Montgomery when clearly Jamal's agent did not expect that to happen. That was one of the savviest moves of the entire free agency period, I thought. And like two or three years ago, people were like, can this guy do anything other than like scout? <laughs> like, you know, like people were like, "Is he, we know he can scout, but can he really make moves? Can he make trades? Can he, you know, and he's proven a few times now. So he definitely has. Absolutely. Campbell, I think, has too, but like I think there's still more questions with him. And, you know, I definitely think think that the process that he's been able to get these guys to buy in and keep them bought in has been aided by his consistency more than anything else. So I think that that he certainly has improved, but I think that like some of the in-game decisions, um, you know, in big moments, I guess we'll see. And I think that that'll be the real test when it, when it comes down to it. I definitely think from a PR point of view, if you'd have said to us around game 16, 17, that Jamal mm-hmm. Williams wouldn't be there by, you know, like the end of February, that would, would have been an bad. absolute landmine. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it seemed to be handled really slickly and, you know, they, they had something else in place. They moved quickly. There wasn't much fallout, even when Jamal, like said, you know, like a few sort of semi-negative things. Right. It, it just seemed to be handled really well. It really was. And I think that I kept saying uh, to people here, like, and I actually said to somebody inside the building, I was like, you know, 10 years ago, maybe not even. And, you know, in any other era, the Lions would have overpaid for Jamal. Um, They would have they would have bent to whatever he was asking for. And he was asking for too much. He was asking for uh, essentially, I think, 
a little bit around what Montgomery got, um, which is not what he's going to get. And we saw in the market, he did not get that. So he was asking for a discount more or less like in his favor. And I, I, you know, like you just mentioned it, Steve, like 10 years ago from a PR standpoint, they would have cared about a PR thing too much. And it would have impacted their, you know, roster decisions. This was a classic example of beating them to the punch. I think almost because you were saying, look, we're not going to get into a hornet's nest with Jamal. We already have a backup plan. If you turn us down, we're already moving on. And we're already get, we're going to have a guy in here by the end of the day. And this is going to be over. And like that when I saw that happen, I was like, man, this guy, Holmes is pretty good. Like that was a smooth smooth move, I thought. And do you think some of that has rubbed off on the, the locker room as well because probably if that had have happened during the Patricia era, there would mm-hmm. have then been immediately two or three tweets from various players that would then would be raking over for the next week and right. it would have kind of snowballed, but it kind of just felt that it was really contained and we moved on really quickly. I think they did such a good job earlier in free agency of signing like culture guys like Isaiah Bugs and Will Harris and guys that we don't think about necessarily as stars or guys that maybe won't even be like long-term, you know, plans here. Anzalone, they probably overpaid for him, but the locker room presence of those guys, I think help them find the confidence of being like, the room will be fine. We'll be okay. There'll probably be a couple people in here that were upset. I'll, be, I'll promise you there were people in there that were a little shook when they saw, oh God, you know, he's leaving. Like what, you know, like what's up with that? Like we thought, you know, he was their guy. That was the first guy that bought in, you know, and there really was. Jamal was brought here to help the culture and he did. And he left it a much better place than he found it. And, you know, he swung his shot to get paid, but, Sadly or not sadly, I kind of think that's Jamal Williams's role as a football player. Like that's what he's going to go do in New Orleans now. He's going to go help them build their culture. And I promise you, in three years, he will leave that place better than he found it. Like that's just what Jamal does. But David Montgomery's the same type of player, but a little bit better and younger. So like I don't hate that at all, and a good guy. So it works out just the same. I found it quite interesting how Holmes was selling it because. It seemed very much like Jamal was the number one option. They extended yeah. it to him. That was rejected. And I think he was selling that they were surprised that the offer was rejected and then right. moved on to the backup option. But the way he talked about Montgomery, they were talking to him already, but they were out of his market as well. They didn't think they could get him at the value they could. And it was right. kind of the confluence of both coming together. As we can't get Jamal at this price, but we can get David at this price at the yeah. same time. But I think it speaks to maybe a bigger thing of what they're doing, which maybe didn't happen in the Patricia era, which is, I think this hints at how the whole operation is happening. They're probably on the phone to a hundred free agents all exactly. at once in multiple positions, mm-hmm. always with a backup option, not ready to go because you still got to work out the money and it never, right. you know. He, Hypothetically though, you know. Yeah, David you know. didn't have to take six million and maybe in this market, he's getting a good deal actually because right. running backs aren't getting paid, but he could easily have done the same as Jamal and waited for more. So mm-hmm. they're just very, very active at keeping in touch with the agents. Um, Gardner Johnson was exactly the same. What's your same asking thing. price? You're still in the market. Is it coming down? The amount of work they're doing behind the scenes is exceptional. Yeah. I mean, it's been like that with, I mean, almost every, you, you go back through the draft picks and, and some of the guys that they've, they've hit on, they've, they've been able to like Kirby Joseph. I just did a little video on him. Like he's, a, he's a great example of full-scale scouting. He was a guy that a year ago, a lot of people had a fifth-round grade on him because for, you know, wasn't that fast. The speed numbers weren't exactly overwhelming. I think he really only started maybe one year 
at Illinois. Um, you know, there's a lot of little things that you could pick and find. And he's a safety and all this. But, like, look at him. <laughs> like, they got him in the third, and that now, now that looks like a deal. And I think people at the time were like, well, I don't know. But if you really study players and you study the full context, like, I think that that's what I would say is Brad Holmes – um man it's so different to hear this when you hear people around the league the people in the league respect the lions because number one they respect dan campbell uh you know because if you played football or you've been around the nfl for the last 20 years you probably know him because he's been everywhere and knows everybody but they all respect holmes and they respect that approach he's honest with people he did not lie to jamal williams or do anything else i don't think that was ever it. jamal said i was offended by the offer okay that's your opinion but there was no deviousness there um and I think that that's another thing too. They've been straight up when they say they're going to do something. We have seen them do it. I have not seen one thing yet where it's been the other one, you know, something that we're like, well, that's not exactly what you said you were going to do. And, you know, we've seen that of course, over the years here ad nauseum, I'll say. Hmm. Moving on to, uh, sorry, Steve. Uh, so I, I was going to say, everything seems so rosy in the garden in free agency, <laughs> yeah, but did. then we come to, our um, everyone's favorite mild-mannered Detroit free press columnist, Carlos, Carlos. who um, has written an article this week okay, um, yes. where he quotes, um, I'll, I'll give you a quote. So Dan Campbell told reporters, I think we're positioned much better to swing with the big boys this year. My question for Campbell would be, why exactly? Sure, the Lions filled some holes with some solid players, just like every other team does. But where's the difference maker or the game wrecker or the perennial pro bowler? Where's the elite of the elite edition? And, you know, Carlos kind of goes on to say, you know, we've not really taken, we've not really taken any really major free agents. We've not taken a swing for Lamar Jackson. And we know that Carlos is like a contrarian and he, he loves right. to kind of like, That's you know, write, write this point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess just from our, our point yes, of view, yes. is there any underlying truth in that that we are somehow talking the lions into winning free agency and you know where no do i don't think, think so that, because yeah. and i think that i understand even that i understand even that uh, i wouldn't agree with it and i think it's kind of one of those you know maybe an extreme criticism but i can understand maybe where even hypothetically where it'd be rooted from because you're saying hey we're we think we're more ready to swing with the big boys okay well where was the big what did you do to improve yourself and his counter the lion's counter to that was we got better at every spot with 21-year-olds all year. Where's the perennial, perennial pro bowler? It's Panay Sewell and Aiden Hutchinson. They're already here. You know, where's the superstar? Like, that's what their counter would be in Detroit. Now, next year, is this is what I've said. Next year, if if they, you know, sort of go through it and are sort of timid and, and maybe don't get in there, because they did make a play a little bit this year. They did get in there a little bit and talk with Clayus Campbell. Um, and last year they talked with Allen Robinson. It wasn't, they got out of it pretty quickly because that money got pretty high and same with thing with Campbell, but like next year, that's, I think when you go and do that, that's when, if you take care of your business this year in the draft and you finish this rebuild and you say, uh, while you're competitive, cause they will be, you get another edge that, to go opposite Hutchinson along with, uh, James Houston. And then everything you do on defense from there on out could be about just signing the best available, like. Hey, if Bobby Wagner's hanging around, let's go get him. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like that kind of stuff that we get asked about every year. Kind of stuff he's he's that Carlos is writing about. You know, like why didn't you go sign Calais Gamble? Why didn't you just go do it? You know, that would have shown the fans you're serious. And it's like that's what Carlos always does. You know, you got to show the fans. It's like, well, I think that show the fans by 
being uh being consistent and patient for a change. How about that? I think that like that's what they've been doing. And uh, even Carlos would admit that, of course, he knows that. But you know, I think that that's the point to remember in this whole thing. Next year, though, you know that that certainly is a more fair argument because if they don't make the playoffs or have some problems and they need some holes to be fixed, and they're like, well, you know, we're still not quite. That's when you start saying, no, we're not doing this. This isn't going to be a thing where you just like we inch by every year and then we get a little bit better, a little bit better. At some point, you got to make the swing. I don't think they're there quite yet. I'm going to think. Sorry, I was just going to say. I think um, from our point of view, I don't think we feel we need to get Jalen Ramsey when we signed CJ. Right. I remember waking up exactly. I remember waking up and seeing that and thinking, "Oh shit, they're serious." Mm, I mean, I agree. That that was yeah, yeah. And I think that I, you know, Jalen. I don't know what the price was there, and I don't know how serious they did or didn't talk. But I would bet you they probably kicked the tires. I, I promise you, they kicked the tires. But like, you know, and yeah, and I would say the same thing. That's a great point. Like CJ Gardner Johnson's a phenomenal signing and um, they got him on a crazy deal. You know, like I think that that's the other thing too. Uh, so look, you know, and that's probably the one thing Carlos could maybe find that was, that was maybe a little bit out there, but even that's a little bit of a stretch, you know, quite I'm frankly. Just going to invoke a question that we had from a, a user earlier and it's about the draft. But I mm-hmm. think the point, really is about philosophy and I think it dips into free agency too so I'll read the question and then I'll kind of spin it a little bit it's from between the numbers Anthony at between the numbers on Twitter he asks has the luxury pick narrative or the thought that the Lions can afford to take a risk in the first round gone too far questions inspired by Dan Campbell's quote at the end of the owners meetings about raising the floor they were only nine and eight after all there is more growth to be had and I think that extends to free agency too because the, the word for me that encapsulates Holmes so far is shrewd. Yes. He just, Great. he makes moves at good value for solid players that are culture fits and says, go and be bigger than the sum of your parts. Doesn't make a splash right. or not at a big price yet. Do you think that teams can win like this and just say, you know what? We're not going to push money into the future ever. And we can then be this all day. We can keep this up for 20 years at this level. And maybe we don't go all in trying to be the favourite to win the Super Bowl. But if we make the dance every year and we believe in ourselves that, you know, there's a chance here that we'll just do this forever. Or do you think that at some point a splash needs to come? Yeah, I think it's both because I think you could at certain positions if you just stick to your guns and you just do those things and those certain positions with a team like this being the lines, your offensive and defensive lines, if you are routinely strong uh, in your ability to run the ball and stop the run um, and you know they invest in both of those areas as well through the draft as anyone I think in the league has over the last two years. Some of the luck has worked against them. Some of it's worked out when they found guys off of the market and everything else. But if you continue to just do that and never take a risk in those spots and just make those shrewd moves and those super important stay good there, then I think you have a chance. Now, to be special though, to really be special, you you gotta have to make the swing. You know that's that's just. In today's world, unless you have, unless they get a Mahomes or unless they land on a quarterback like that, um, to get yourself over the top, it can be done. And you can win. I firmly believe you can win a Super Bowl doing that. We've seen it historically um, if you have the right team. But, like, the team has to be pretty flawless 
And that usually involves you making that calculated risk of like, okay, this is the year where we're going to mortgage more of our future than we probably would be comfortable with because we think that, you know, players X, Y, and Z are peaking right now and we need to max it out right now. Like, so I think you can keep changing your parts over and stay true to who you are, but, you know, unless you have that elite quarterback, that's the thing that keeps you at that top conversation, or it should, but also, you know, as we've seen with Matthew Stafford around here, maybe not always. So, like, you know, I think that... uh We'll see, you know, that's a fascinating, that's the fascinating part of this because they're building it a different way and a new way. And also a way that I think a lot of other teams with young GMs are, they, they do it similar to how the Lions are, are working right now. If you look around the league. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it all goes. So in, in, in terms of homes and how, how he's building and his strategy and look, I guess like we're talking about his competence and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of ta- tactics is the biggest sort of testament to what he's done so far. The fact that from what I've seen, and I've read 101 mock drafts, right. no one has any clue what the Lions are going to do in the draft. Like, <laughs> right. trade, up, trade down, yeah. corner, defense. No one's got no a clue. idea. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Is that like his biggest win? I feel like that's a great point, And it might be because like, I think it means that those of us that follow this, right. We all see like, well, okay. What do we? A lot of guys. You, if you if you really follow GMs or scouts, you're like, okay. Well, they have types, right? They have certain particular things that they like. He, Brent Holmes has a lot of types. He has a lot of things that he likes, and I think that it's really dynamic. And he can surprise you sometimes with reasons why he likes one guy over another guy, and that's why it's super interesting to talk to him about prospects. But that is a super good point because I think there's not a lot of tell there with other than like the guy's got to love football. Right. Like other than that, like that's pretty much all we all we know about his preference at pretty much any position other than like, does he have traits? Does he have stuff you can't teach? If he has stuff you can't teach, we will bring him here and we will make it an environment where he'll he'll max out. So I think that um, everybody gets leery of guys like that, you know, in those mid rounds, because it's like, what are you doing? What are you sitting on? Who are you? Kirby Joseph, like guys like that. Who are you waiting on? And I think that uh, there might be some of that for sure. When we're picking at two last year, like there's a limit to how you can kind of mix up your tactics. You pick exactly. at two. You're going to take even the then ball. we're a little bit like I don't know. Yeah, but you know. picking at six, all of a sudden, like everything's on the table. And from I mean, I would say the consensus is there's two superstar quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and then there's two really really good players in Jalen Carter and um, Anderson, and right. then you've got two intriguing prospects in Levis and Richardson. Right. So any you know, one of those players, one of those six could fall to the Lions. Or like say if three quarterbacks go and then Carter and then Anderson, and we maybe we don't want to take a risk on Levis, the, the sixth pick, we could pick anyone, but there's also a massive opportunity to trade that pick right. because actually at 9, 10, 11, 12, we could still get the player like Devin Weatherspoon if that's exactly. the guy, if yeah. that's the Aaron Glenn mold guy that's going to add value at corner. He could be there at eight, nine, 10, 11. Like no one knows. Exactly. And I think that that's the best way to say this because their options are sort of limitless. And it really does depend on, yeah, how the board sort of falls. Because I think at the end of the day, they have what they need to get their favorite player in this draft. It's not going to be Stroud or Bryce Young. Um, 
their favorite non-quarterback. They if they want to get Will Anderson, they can go get him, and it's not going to cost that much. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it they, that's affordable, uh, and that's crazy to me. <laughs> like Will Anderson with Nate Hutchinson would be like, what are we talking about here? So that's in a but if it's Witherspoon, you you have the whatever to position yourself to get him where you need to get him, and yeah, I think that uh, you could say that about anybody really there, and that's why they're in such a great spot. It's a weird combination of what Holmes is like and also what draft you're dealt. Because if you transported the Lions to two in this draft, I mm-hmm. still think you have no idea where they're going. Because yeah. I think Will Anderson would be very much on the table, but Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson would have a lot of... I don't, yeah, exactly. And, you of, know, yeah. would CJ Stroud or... Exactly. Or would one of those quarterbacks change the math, you know, in his head? And I think that's the thing that people can't figure out with Brett Holmes is, is because it always changes. It's changing, you know, it's evolving. The the equation of like what is a good this, what is a good that, uh, especially when you're running a team, like what do we need versus how good is this versus what's it cost? It's never rid it's never so rigid that it doesn't change. Like that was Bob Quinn's problem, I always felt like. And I Bob Quinn gets and Patricia too, they're both obviously huge failures at their job here, but they, they weren't like totally clueless. They knew some things, but it would still be they bring up points and you're like, that's a good point, but this has changed. Well, no, it hasn't. And you're like, well, yes, it has. Like, you got to be honest with yourself, you know? And I think that is what Holmes does as well as anybody going right now is like Campbell too, but like the, the self awareness and the honesty with yourself, they just don't lie to themselves ever. Like they just don't ever do that. And like, I feel like that's what the hallmark of great team, the Ravens, uh, except for right now with Lamar, but like over the years, They've been a great franchise at that. They don't make stupid decisions in the draft. They don't make stupid signings. They don't lie to themselves. They don't try to do something that they're not capable of. And I think that uh, Lions finally seem to have good personnel uh, that understands that. I mean, is is what happened? So you had an article about. Did he have an article about Lamar Jackson recently? No. Um, I, I might be imagining. Was it me? Somebody probably did, though. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but what you were saying about Lamar Jackson and them not lying to themselves or not doing something that they can't do is that not? Yeah. Does that philosophy not take you exactly where we are? Because I kind of think they're not lying to themselves by saying, "Hey, Lamar." the reality of the situation is with your play and your injury history and the way you play and the possible injury future, we don't think we can afford you at your current price. And right. don't I don't think they've lied to him about it. And to be honest, nope. although they've not come and said it in public, it's transparent exactly what right. they've done and why. Exactly. So yeah. I, I think that they've inevitably come here and I think they're like, you know what? If the end of it is that we get two first round picks from this, we took him at 32. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Even though they inevitably get worse next year, they look at the two first round picks and say, we maybe on. we have one yeah. bad season with a great roster and then we go yeah. again. Uh, and in two years, we're moving yeah. on. Yeah. 100%. And that's the hallmark of consistency. That's the hallmark of what you do and how you do it. You, you know, it, your your decisions are not made before they're, you know, before it's time to make them. You're not making a decision nine, you know, nine months before it's time to make that. It's It's all time and place and context and, and being confident in yourself to not get like to know that so like that was when when Holmes made that trade in division and was and was self-aware and confident enough to be like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to do it. I don't if you guys think that he's working me, which he's not like, cool, I don't care. Like and that to me is like always a sign of a great GM. If you don't care what the Twitter trade grade crew says. When you're on your way. Well, you know? Never mind the grading. Like the grading yeah. kind of was saying afterwards that, you know, we fleeced him a little bit in the yeah, draft. Right. In, in the draft yeah. And it's like, yeah. I bet in his head after they agreed it in the draft, they were like, I can't fucking believe he's agreed to this. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell's right. going on? 
yeah probably because like <laughs> i think especially with that one yeah it was like this is what we wanted to do all along so like wow i can't believe it's he's doing it and it's an interdivision team but yeah hmm. yeah they're in a good spot i like where they're at right now so in terms of the draft strategy then I, like i know this is you know like absolute this is like memento wallboard stuff yeah but the way like my kind of logical brain sort of works it down is okay there's there's two QBs that might be in play for us in terms of Richardson and Levis. The right. question I'd be asking Brad Holmes is, is next year's draft class a better opportunity for us to make that move at QB than a, a shot at those two guys? What What's your view on that? So I would say that it is. Um, it is, but I would also add that it's going to be a more competitive trade market next year, and the price is probably going to be more expensive. Um, because and we're, and we're probably not going to be at six, and you're not going to be at six, so you're going to have right. You're probably going to have a much lower draft pick. Uh, you know, I think they still have some extra seconds, but like it would be, it would take a lot. It would be kind of like what they did, what the Rams did to go get golf, where they they traded everything. It was like the whole draft basically, um, and that's kind of what they would have to do. But Caleb Williams and Drake May are generational. They're Trevor Lawrence level. That's where we would bucket them, you know, in the the guys that you would trade a lot of stuff to go get. Like, I don't think I would trade that much. I don't think I would do it for Bryce Young. I would probably trade a decent amount for Stroud. Uh, but that's it in this draft. And I think next year you could say that about at least two guys. You've also got J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, who I think is a nice player. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's some other guys that are younger that have nice arm talent that, like, are going to be intriguing, that are going to be in that McCarthy Levis, you know, the talent is going to be like something that teams are going to look at. So my point is, is there going to be, there's going to be more high end talent, I think coming out next year, just and beyond those two guys that everybody talks about. So it'll just be a better class in general. Our own Anthony Fitzpatrick has been a KJ Jefferson stand for as long as he can oh, remember. Yeah. And I know he's going to be a bit older now when he comes out, but I think so. Arkansas has yeah. been an interesting offense for the last few yeah. years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's even a lot of guys. Yeah. Mm. A lot of young guys, you know, and like that it's quarterbacks going weird waves. Clemson's got that young kid club Nick right now. That's like, I think a, about to be a sophomore who's just phenomenal, but you know, it's w random. It's just random when this stuff, when they pop out and, the, the hard part is there's just not that many of them anymore. And, you know, I, I always say on our show, like I subscribe to the Kyle Shanahan theory of there are not 32 starting quarterbacks walking the earth. Uh, there are only, you know, so many. And you have to know the difference between a value, a, a real starting quarterback in the NFL and someone that people just say could be. And so that that to me is kind of how you look at quarterbacks. So let, let's say hypothetically then that we we get to six the, the say three of the four QBs have gone. We don't want to go for say like Levis. Mm -hmm. Carter's gone. Anderson's gone. Someone like Devin Weatherspoon, like I love him as a player. Seems a great culture fit. Um, you know what we need in terms of we need to enhance the defense. We know that the corner situation is going to be fluid next year. Would you take Weatherspoon at six, or would you be thinking I'm going to like trade out of this if if the phone rings and and roll the dice? You know, I think at that point, I would, I would consider, I, w I wouldn't mind it. Because uh, some people, I think they think that's too high for him. I don't think that's too high for him, if that's what you want to do. Like, if he's your guy. Um, but I would also say that if, like, Tyree Wilson is there, or one of these edges, I would also consider that. And I, I've, I've had people ask me why, because they bring up James Houston. 
Um, what would you, you know, well, what does that mean? You know, James Houston had seven sacks or was, or maybe more than that. I don't remember a crazy amount there in the last however many games. And, uh, so what do you do? You know, that's his job. And I'm like, well, we have, first of all, we have to see him do that on a three down basis over the course of a season before we can call him anything more than like a designated hitter, which is kind of what he was, you know, last year, a home run hitter at that, but like, you know, pass rush specialist Hutchinson is a three down, never comes off the field you know, Pro Bowl level star player. If you add another edge um, of Aiden Hutchinson's physical caliber, along with a James Houston and Aleem McNeil, then I just, I think that you can kind of do anything you want defensively in the back. You know what I mean? That's when you can start making those luxury signings that Carlos is talking about, where it's like, now we add an older guy for a little bit more maybe, but like we're really upgrading, you know? And I think that if your front is taken care of, that to me would be enticing still. I would still want to look at Wilson or maybe one of those other edges. Uh, but yeah, I probably would still want to try to trade out. Number one, number two would be that. Van Ness would also be a guy I wouldn't totally rule out. I really like him a lot, but six is all is awful high there for him. Got a question, a couple of questions, um, which relate to to what we were talking about in terms of 2024. Because if we're not going to be at six. Well, we could be at six if we trade with the right person to come down. But <laughs> then true. the right person, how far down are they now and where are they projecting? So, you know, I- I'm kind of thinking that the Vikings might be in that sort of territory, but that's quite a long way to go down. Yeah, um, really but there are point. other teams that might be kind of lower down that are descending as we're ascending. Yeah. So one question was, how far do the Lions have to trade down to net a first round pick in 2024? And Cool Dan Rat just asked, would you swap draft capital to aid next year's draft? Which is basically the same question. Right. Yeah. I think you'd have to trade down quite a ways um, to get a one back on that one. It would have to be significant, I would think. Uh, and I don't think they would want to necessarily do that. Um, but, you know, I guess to the point of like these quarterbacks next year, that could be like you're loading up. You know, the 49ers tried that with Lance. You know, I don't know. Like it, maybe it'll work out. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think you'd have to go down quite a bit. To get a, what was the other part of that question? The uh, it was just so would you trade down to aid next year, and how far would you have to trade down to net a one? Yeah, I think you'd have to trade down too far to net a one. And um, would I trade up to get a guy? Ne- I don't know if I would trade up to get a guy next year. There, I think that would that would like all depend on because that's the thing that all this depends on golf. Like everything about their math going forward offensively uh, depends on him. Like. I really think you can win with him playing at the level they played at last year. That was, that was good football. And that was where they're at right now as a team. They don't have any business saying that they're too good for Jared Goff. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not there yet. And um, so to me, I don't think they're going to be there in a good minute either. You know, I don't think it's going to be a thing where, you know, in the next couple of years, Jared Goff is the only reason why they're... And if it is the case that he's holding them back, then that's a different conversation. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they've kind of helped and got him recentered and got an offense that really fits around him really well. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. Have, Goff didn't have Jameson Williams to. last year. He didn't. And, like, that's the other part. Like, they're going to add him. Uh, they got that other eight. They got 18 here this year. If they want to add... You know, I keep bringing up B. John Robinson. People don't want to hear it. But, like, that is... That would be a ridiculous ad to an offense like this. Ridiculous ad. Right. So let's ask this question because we asked this question last week. <laughs> and I, I I know that you get plenty of mail in yeah. from, from your readers. 
But I think that the reaction may not be what you suspect. You wrote an article on drafting Bijan. I did. Um, do, you, do you think that he's in play at six at all? Uh, or uh, so would he be your number one pick at 18 if on the board, no matter who else yes. is there? Yeah. Yes. I thought at so. 18, he would be, yes. At six, probably not. Because I think you could still make the case that you could, like, I mean, especially depending on who's sitting there, right? Like we've talked about all these different scenarios. Even if it's like all the guys that we think are going to be gone are gone, and it's just like Wilson, Tyree Will, I would take him maybe. You know, I would still really want to think about him long and hard there. But 18, and honestly, if I had to move up a couple, I would do that because I just think this guy <laughs> is that. And I, I just think he's the guy. I think he's, I don't think he's better than Saquon, but I think he's like in that ballpark and like that is good enough for me. <laughs> Like, I mean, I, so I I do think he's better than Saquon, and you I think he's better. Video. So hey, well, you're, he's, you're my, he's my he's my in terms of pure talent, I think he's the number one player in the draft. Yeah, like, I mean, I he's top ten do. for sure, top five, I would say probably. I mean, he's phenomenal. I mean, I don't think people give him. I'm glad that you you took the time because not a lot of people seem to be now. As we get closer, they are. I'll give them credit. As we get closer, people are starting to get more wise on it. But it's like I keep telling people, like he is not what we would just uh, in every he's not a running back he's more than that you know it's not mm. that's diminishing what he is if you just label him into a bucket like that well and he wasn't used very much in the past game although no, he was very good at, it at texas he as was well, underutilized so. the only dings on him are are as you know he he fumbled probably too many times although i don't think he lost that many but he did have some fumble issues and then yeah it's production but it's also like how, that's not his fault. Like, I mean, the production is the choice of whatever Sarkeesian's running at Texas. Plus, plus, he shared the backfield with Roshan Johnson, who is a really good back and is going to be a mm -hmm. pick. And Bijan, I think that shows selflessness. He's a good kid. People like him. I think he'd fit really well in Detroit. The whole Bijan mustard thing is trending already, yeah. I swear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a question from Damian Smith about him as well, and it's about drafting Bijan. If we do, considering how much we paid Montgomery, how right. do the two fit in a room together? Because for $6 million, you don't really want Montgomery to be a pure backup, but they're both no. not good enough receiving backs to have them basically be featured wide receivers if they're not the feature backs. So... How would that work? Because neither of them are particularly bruising backs. They can both do it, but it's not their right. forte. They're kind of both vision guys, both break tackle guys. They're, they're, there's a lot of redundancy there. There is, but I think that it's it allows you to be versatile in ways that, you know, where they can both be on the field at the same time and you mess with matchups and teams don't know what you're doing or you sub or you mess with personnel or you change formations. To me... You know, and I understand the, the complimentary back thing, if you're if you're going to do it sort of on the economical sense that you need that needs to be what you're doing. You need to have a guy that runs the gap and you need to have a guy that can run the, the zone. The, in this case, if you have two guys who are true capable, like full scale, they can help all of themselves. And in today's world, we know that's just not going to happen. You're going to split load. To me, that's better, especially mm -hmm. if you're a team that's rooted in the run game, because, you know, again, the offensive line here is one of the best young groups in football. Um, their offensive line, if you go back and you look at like the average line yards last year that were created, they were among the best in the league and they left yards on the field. Jamal and Swift both did. And um, I think that when Ben Johnson brought that up, I think right away when the season ended, like we left a ton of rushing yards on the field. And like, I was like, look, if you guys, I got, I know a guy that get all those yards for you. If you, if you want him in the yeah. draft, I mean like that's, 
And Montgomery is a missed tackle machine, just like, you know, Bijan is. So even if you don't get Bijan, you've added a playmaker like that raising mm. the floor, trying to pick, you know, we're, we're blocking these yards. The play's blocked for 15 yards. We need a back that can go get us 15 yards on that. You know, like that's the, that's kind of what they're at now. And I think they're, they're growing up. And I think that's kind of the, the what we're seeing here. And what's quite interesting about Bijan, and you don't really think that it's an important thing until it might be an important thing, is that because they have Roshan Johnson, they actually ran a lot of split backfield with Bijan right. blocking for Roshan. Exactly. So yep. if you ran a split backfield with David and him, he could do the dirty work in terms of being a fullback. He could do Well, that. I mean, it's also you're moving them around in motion. They can both catch. Uh, you know, we you know, we've seen teams in the past. One of my favorite things that the Packers used to do with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones was they put them both out there and Rodgers would direct traffic and you didn't know what they were doing. And it would be jet motion. Sometimes it'd get a handoff. Sometimes it'd be nothing. Sometimes you'd run around. I mean, it would just be if, it, you know, if you're a matchup offense and you truly operate that way, which is what, you know, Ben Johnson specializes in and Campbell, really. Um, I just think guys like that, that are great in space, you can't have enough of them. And they already have St. Brown, who is just the magic in that, in those spots and like in the phone booth. And Jameson, and we just have not, we still haven't seen all that he can do yet. And so, uh, you know, one more weapon like that, that's what I keep thinking. One more, and and that would maybe be a big difference. When we were talking about this with Dave Paquette last week, my point that has kind of been bugging me was with this O-line, this is like a top five O-line, and we always talk about windows to win. Yeah, Like if you're going to throw a a Bijan in there, surely this is the time to do it. Like part of me saying, saying, don't draft a running back so high, but... The other part of me yeah. saying, while well, we've got this O-line, let's use it. Let's absolutely max it out what we can And he's on his rookie it. deal. He's on his rookie contract. You're going to get him as cheap as humanly possible for the rookie deal. And, like, I keep comparing it to Zeke Elliott, right? And his run in Dallas just ended, I think it was seven or eight years, seven years. Uh, and he had 8,000 rushing yards, maybe more than that, maybe almost close to 10,000. And all the, you know, very productive. And it's not his fault that the team did not – do what it needed to do. He gave them what they needed from him over that period of time. And now that time has ended and you move on. And I think that's how you look at running backs. And that's to Steve's point. You want to max out that talent from your back with the best possible line you can give him in that environment. And I, that's why I think that they're ready. That's the type of swing I'd like to see them make a skill guy. Like they did it last year too, with Jameson to be fair, but I'd like to see them do it again. You know, to be honest, I think that they, and I, Chris Burke always brings up tight end. You know, this is a great year for tight ends. I wouldn't hate that either in some ways, you know, if they wanted to change some things up. So, yeah, we'll see how they uh, handle it. Bichon Darnell and number one offense no. in the NFL would be would be in the in the ballpark, <laughs> potentially. Pretty um, good, yeah. Just going to get to the remainder of the questions we have, and there are quite a lot. So if we're running long and you want to get out of here, just, just yeah, let us know. Let me go till – I can go till four here, or to the top of the hour. Okay, good. let's let's do that. So – uh, our own Ash says, what's your opinion on, because he's a homer for Florida State, uh, safety Jamie <laughs> Robinson and his Ooh. potential fit here? I do like him a lot. I watched him for quite a bit uh, down in Mobile one day and saw him make several plays in a row. And I liked him because I think he's a guy who could play both safety spots. And I don't know what the Lions are going to do there, though. You know, like, that's my question, is I almost kind of feel like now that I look up at it, it's like, okay, well, you've got Joseph, you've got Gardner-Johnson, at least for the year. And, I mean, frankly, I think that if things go well, they could probably figure out something to keep him here. Um, you got Tracy Walker. Uh, they still have Melifonwu back there. 
that they're developing and they haven't given up on, maybe they're maybe they're okay. I mean, maybe they're okay at safety. That's kind of my one thing with the safeties and the Lions right now. Because I don't know. I don't know if they how much they value it right now in the draft. All right. Um, favorite DT in the class isn't Jalen Carter. Um, probably either Tansy or um good man. I was just thinking of one the other day. And was a Big Ten guy. Oh, Keanu Benton is uh he's underrated. And uh the Wisconsin kid, yeah, because uh, so many people have been all over uh and, and rightly so, uh Adabawari from um Northwestern, yeah. who's just freaky guy, freaky. right? Like with the yeah. length and but Benton is rock solid, just a steady, you know, I wouldn't he's not a first round pick or anything like that, but like a steady, solid can can get some pass rush a little bit and is really good against the run, got good length, uh, moves really well. He's another guy at the senior bowl. He killed it. I don't think anybody got him once at the in any time I saw him. So um he's the guy that I Gervon Dexter's growing on me, but um but Benton is a, is a fave. All right. Um, let's go for... Okay, we talked about Witherspoon. This is Brandon Kerr's question. We talked about Witherspoon before, and everything you hear about him is basically, he's probably the best fit for the Lions yeah. in terms of any position in the draft just because of who he is as a player. Personality and everything, yeah. The question is... Who is the next person like that? The one after him that you can think of? That's a grit guy. That's a Campbell oh, guy. Anyone? Uh, both the guys he played with at Illinois, uh, Sidney Brown and Quan uh, Martin, are both very similar. They're both very similar. These and they already incredible have because his question went on to say, "What do you think of the other Illinois DBs?" So those are the guys. <laughs> That's the team right now that I can't stop watching because they're like it's. And I was just on. Earlier, uh, earlier this week with our Bears podcast, and those guys um, also, you know, watch Illinois football. And I was talking to them about some of those guys, and I'm like, I don't know what has happened. And it's Bielema has figured it out, I think. He went to the NFL after, you know, he had it working at Wisconsin. Eras changed. Things changed. It didn't work in the SEC. He goes to the NFL, and now he knows what these teams want out of defensive backs. And he is finding these DBs that just play with, like, reckless – and they're just physically confident. They do. They're not afraid of anything. They have terrific ball skills. Like I think Kirby was a volleyball player at one point in high school. Like just like they he need, and he's doing a great job because these Illinois kids are all dogs. I mean they don't care. They're and it's, they they knocked everybody on their ass at the Senior Bowl and it was like that all year. That was not that great of a football team and they were in way more games than they should have been in. Probably won more games than they should have as well. So uh, Nigel Sanderson uh, on Twitter um, asks, if Jalen Carter is still there at number six, do we take him? And then the kind of supplementary question mm. is, if we have taken Carter at six, uh, maybe over Witherspoon, what will be our options at cornerback left at 18? Mm, yeah, so I wouldn't rule it out uh, with Carter at six. I think the, I, the Lions have either had him in or will have him in. He is on a 30 visit for them, so they, he will be in Allen Park or either has been at some point. Um, I wouldn't rule it out, but it's all going to depend on what they find both when they talk to him in person and, you know, we know what Brad Holmes does as a scout. He, he under, you know, turns over every rock. I think that it actually probably helps them that Holmes was a, um, he was an Atlanta area scout for many, many years. And if there's any area of the country that he does have, uh, 
ties. I think it's, he was a PAC 12 scout and then also in the SEC. So I think he has pretty good knowledge of people down there and people he can trust. Um, so if they don't take him, that means that it was too much, whatever has happened here, uh, was too much to deal with. And he's in a place that isn't productive because I think that's what they're weighing is what are we getting when we get him? I think they think that their locker room is is good enough to, to handle him, whatever, whatever that is, you know, whatever the baggage is, but if he's a mess and he might be, and like his pro day was bad, that was a bad deal. I don't know what, why he went out there <laughs> like, but like that did not look good. So if he's a mess, you know, he's going to fall and that's going to be something where I'm not sure if they're wanting to do that, you know, and that would be the question I would have. And if they'd passed on uh, uh corners at 18, I still think Deontay Banks is my favorite of that next group after Porter. And I think he's worthy of a first round pick for sure. Emmanuel Forbes is right on that fringe uh, as well. I mean, if you'd have said six months ago that Carter would st- possibly be on the board yeah. for the Lions at six, I mean, you'd have yeah, absolutely, you know, wouldn't even yeah. You're clicking yeah. your heels. And they might still, they might still, because look, again, I've heard, yeah, everybody hears mixed stuff on this. And I've heard that's bad. I've heard that, you know, it's not great. There's more, you know, nothing about his situation looks great. And if you dig into it, it doesn't often look much better. But I've also never really heard anybody come out and say, like, this is a bad person. I've never I've yet to hear anybody tell me, He's just the bad guy. That's like, well, if anything, the opposite. The the whole yeah. buying teammates lunch in the, the right. I, I just I feel like whatever. Like I feel like he's a guy that could. He's a kid. He's a dumb young dumb kid. I think that's mostly what I hear. Now that could be bad, and that could be something that you can't fix. And you know that's going to be when they get you know knee to knee with him, and that's why it helped. It's going to help them a ton to have Campbell and Glenn. Because those guys have been around all of it. They're Parcells guys. Parcells was the king of, I'll take anybody if you can, you know, prove that you can show up to work on time. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And so they'll they'll get to the bottom of it, I think. I trust that. Um, if they take him, they think that they can handle it. I think that I would trust that. Not that this is a question, but just to kind of state this for, for the guys live as well. Lots has been made of, of him not taking any outside top 10 visits or people not willing to trade up into the top 10 for him. I kind of think that with his potentially fragile mental state with what's going on still, I think right. limiting the number of visits he has is yeah, smart. I think, like I agree with just that. Minimi- you hear people that have a visit every single day up until the draft now, and it's like, how mentally exhausting is this going to be for a guy that really needs to kind of repair his rep, maybe get a few private workouts in where he actually looks a bit better than he did on his pro day? Like, his agent, while publicly it looks bad, is kind of mm-hmm. saying, this is a top 10 pick, we'll prove it, don't worry yeah, about that. Right. But also, I'm looking after him, and he doesn't need this. So, 100% agree with that. I 100% agree with that because it's not necessary. We just saw. I just saw a thing today. Uh, I think Ian Rappaport reported that Josh Downs, who's going to be no worse than like 40, um, didn't take any visits. He stopped taking any. <laughs> like he just said, "I'm not doing it." If you want to draft me? Draft me. And I, I mean, hey, look, like that's not for everybody, but I think if you're Jalen Carter and uh, we know who his agent is, the big dog there, then you just say like, yes, this is the best defensive player in the draft. You all know it. So I'm not going to BS you and act like this is something different. I think, I think that's fine. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I mean, surely after his pro day, the last thing that you want with Jalen Carter is him to yeah, spend him three weeks right. eating like airport food. No, he needs to get in <laughs> shape. I would think, right? Like yeah. that's what I would want. Like, Go get in shape because I want you to be out there for mini camp because that's the thing. Wherever he goes, 
goes, that team is going to have to take him in and be like, you are now, we're going to assign someone to be with you 24 hours a day. You are now ours. You're no longer George's. We're cutting ties from everybody that you know in the state of Georgia, and you are coming into us. Like, because that's going to have to be what happens, you know, and yeah. wrap your Protective arms around custody. completely. Yeah. <laughs> custody, that's right. Yeah. Getting lots of love, Nick, from the chat with you being on here. Dave VJ just saying thanks for the chat, Nick. Always great. Into love listening to you and Colton. Just going to try and rapid fire through the rest of the questions. Sure thing, Ian yeah. Carr. At Deadline UK on Twitter says, and we were kind of talking about this before, what's the level of concern about JMO not fulfilling his promise and a bit of an assumption that he'll make the leap? And just to kind of twist the question a bit, we were talking about this later, and it's not about him not fulfilling the promise because the the criticism is well overblown about whatever's happening with his likes on Twitter and who cares? But like... Everyone's talking in the off season about like, oh, and we've got JMO and we didn't have him last year. And, you know, he touched the ball three times and there were three big plays. But going from that to this is a thousand yard guy as a Z on the outside is also kind of a bit of a leap. And are we are we kind of hoping that just a, a bit too much from him next year? Yeah, I think you got to be careful there for sure, because the injury, you know, and it's like you just you never quite know if especially with a guy like that, because his superpower was the is the second level burst, the ability to separate. And we did see that last year. We saw it was back, you know, and that was is really what makes him special. Uh, and I think that once he gets his body back to because you could see how skinny he looked, right? Like his it looked like little chicken legs running around out there a couple times. The first couple games, it was like, oh, he was super easy to find from upstairs because he was so thin. But like once he gets <laughs> his body up to, you know, to be able to handle everything, then, you know, I think that you're going to see a guy that, we started to see at Alabama, which was just an explosive, oh my God, guy that you have really have to have a plan for, or he's going to just go over the top on you three times a game and you're doing it. There's nothing you do. And I think the other thing to say would be, and Goff said this in like uh, November, December, he's like, we barely played together. Like we're still, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll get there, but like, give us a minute to get there. And, you know, let's take, let's get St. Brown around him and things like that. So I think you had to be careful to see how he responds to the knee. But yeah, I mean, he's still a terrific prospect. I mean, you really saw that as well in there, because I think there was a stat that like he was two of nine targeted early or one yep. of nine or one it of was ten. All it was, place, it yeah. was really bad, the chemistry. Mm. Um, let's go back to quarterbacks. Um, Ash asked, what would you do? Get the quarterback of the future in this class. Aim for next year's class where maybe set. We kind of covered that a bit, I guess. And Lions Pride 8123 on Twitter asked, what have you heard on Lions' interest in Richardson? Seems like they've been mum on the top yeah. QBs. But as far as I know, the Lions were pretty much at every game in they were. Florida this year. <laughs> yes, they were. But I would also add this. Florida has like 10 guys who are going to get drafted. So Florida, they got a lot of dudes. Florida was a way more talented team than their record showed, which probably isn't great for Florida fans. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I think that's something to take away from that, too. But, you know, he plays that quarterback card so close, uh, and he always has with Goff. And I think that's what, like, some of the beat writers have issues with sometimes where they get caught up or tripped up where they're like, well, you've never really said that Jared Goff is your guy. Never really. We've asked you that point blank. And he has been asked that point blank many times, and he's been very careful. Like shrewd, right? Villain. Yeah, villain. villain. Yeah, and he's been very careful with what he says. And I think that the the thing that happened with Jamal, like, I think that you just never quite, you have to, you know, under villain is probably a good, a good thing to have on the chest. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate, right? And I think that uh, that would be something I would keep in mind as well. With a guy like Richardson, there's probably no better person than Goff 
for him to sit behind for like, a season and a half. I think it'd be great. I think that I don't know how golf would handle it. I mean, you like you'd like to think that he would handle it well, um, but all I know is like he, he was in a really bad place mentally when he got here, and really bad. And uh, like they fixed it, they helped him so much here. And I think that last year, and he deserves most of the credit, probably all of it. But the Lions helped him a ton. And like last year at the end of the year, you could really hear it from him where he was like, I don't, I just want to play for Dan Campbell. I don't care about anything else anymore. Like, that's it. I just want to win for him. So Dan Campbell went to ask him, hey man, I need you to help us. I I, I don't know if he'd love it, but I bet he'd do it and he wouldn't make mm. a fuss about it. You know, and I think it would be he would he would take it serious and he would he would treat him right and all that sort of stuff. So because he knows, like I, he was on his ass when he came here and and they wrapped their arms around him, boy. I mean, that was and it was bad. It was like if Goff has a rough start to the season, he's done. Like he's never coming. Yeah. Oh, I called and, for him know, to be yeah. benched. Right. Oh, yeah. right. It was really bad. And no one was going to pick him up. He was going to be out of the league. Like that was the next step for him. And I think it was a rattling thing. And like they really did a good job with him. And I think that that's what I've thought about a lot with this. Like, would he be against the two years ago? He would have been against it. He would have thrown a fit. A year ago, he might have thrown a fit. I don't know about now. I think he's grown up an awful lot in the last two years. And also, if you think back to our conversation about Jalen Carter, like if we can, you know, like I said, put our arms around and, and give that sympathy mm-hmm. and support exactly. and yeah, rebuild off, then surely right. Carter's Like he fired like Anthony Lynn, fired Anthony Lynn, who's a really good football coach because he just didn't get along with Goff. And it was nothing personal. It was just, that's what he did. Okay, uh- done. Like that's the type of stuff, right? So it's like I think that Jared didn't forget that, and I, I do remember that a lot. Let's go through these next few in in as little time as we can, because the, the listeners in here who've asked these questions, and I want to get to as many as I can. So later round quarterbacks, Stetson Bennett, Clayton Tune, anyone there kind of take any fancy that sort of range? I'm not a Bennett guy. Uh, I don't like to. I like Aiden O'Connell down there. Mm. I like the Purdue Aiden O'Connell and uh, Duggan. I, I am not giving up on Max Max Duggan. I just think there's for a backup, you know. Man, I think du- that guy could be great. Like a Duggan's not role. giving up on Duggan, and we know that. No, so. he's never going to give up. So right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jordan, you, you don't think uh, you don't think Hendon Hook is in play on day two? I no, maybe, but like they do like him. I know that. I guess that depends on where he goes. That depends. They like. I know they like him. Um, he and Ray Agnew, I saw them spend some time together at the Senior Bowl. Um, but there are people that like him an awful lot, it seems. And there's at least been buzz about maybe he'll go way higher. I guess we'll have to see where he falls. If he's there in the third, yeah, I could see them taking him. Not in the second, probably, though. I think that'd be a little high. Okay, two more. Uh, Mike the Marine asks... Oh, which one? Okay, since the Lions do not have a round four pick... Are there any players that are kind of mocked in that sort of range right now that you would consider trading up or down into? Ooh, that is a really good question. Um, yeah, like, for instance, if you don't take B. John Robinson and some of these running backs start falling, because one guy that I have I think Jameer Gibbs is just, Jameer Gibbs is a top 20 player that somebody's going to get at like 45, you know, or whatever, and like that's, and and that's how it's going to go. This is a good class, you know, Charbonnet, Tyje Spears, Eric Gray. Um, there's a bunch of guys. And so if if you had like a, a guy that you loved in that group um, and they're all there on day, day at the top of day three, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that because mm. 
this is a good running back class. This is a, they're they're deep, and this would be a good year to take a guy like that. If you're not gonna, even if you're not gonna take Bijan or whatever, um, they still need something else. Swift's not he has not proven enough to be the answer here. So you're gonna need to take another guy no matter what. Last one, the one highlighted, Steve. Um, or bolded. Uh, which one? No, we just uh, okay. Um, what what do you think that we're saving our cap space for? Um, mm. well, you know, we've, we've still for. got we've still got like millions. Left yes, a lot of money. Yeah, we're third, I think, with twenty five million or something. Yeah. So, and this is the Carlos's thing. This is a great way to end it, really, because it's like their cap money is all into their youth. It's already on the team. Like their cap is being saved to pay Hutchinson, Sewell. Um, I would assume guys like, and you could probably keep going for guys that are probably going to be in the conversation. Like Kirby Joseph is going to need to get paid if he continues to develop the way that Jonah we think Jackson. he can. Jonah, um, Amon Ross St. Brown is going to need to get paid. Um, Jamison Williams, if he takes off the way that you want him to get paid, like their faith, I think in their future money is really in so many of these guys, Elaine McNeil, like they're not going to let him go if they can help it. Like, a lot of guys like that, you know, and if you really go across the board and you start stacking them up, it's like, man, they do have a lot of really good young football players. And and the thing that I think that they tell us behind the scenes is like our cap space is fake. It's not real because it's all spoken for. It's all it's all for our guys. It's all for our guys when they come up, whenever the deal comes up, because that's the sign of the, the best GMs is like we already have a plan for when we're going to start talking, how we're going to talk, where we want to go with it, X, Y and Z. It's not going to be a mystery. We know what we, you know, and I think that they're in a pretty good shape with that. So I would say the bulk of that cap space is saved for the budding youth of their roster that's right now on rookie deals still. Mm. And you can guess who if, those guys are for sure. I mean, if if Cameron Sutton and CJ ball out next year, why right. would you lose them? Right. And that's know, the conversation the that you have to, you know, it's like that's the that's the weight that you that you sort of like juggle because I would argue that CJ would be a guy that I would try to lock up like, and I would try to take some of that money. And well, and then that's something you have to think about, but I think the bulk of that money, not all of it. And I would say that what, what I've, what I think I've seen them do is sort of save like 70% of their cap space for that and then play with the other 30. And if they want to take the other 30 and throw all of it at one person, who's to say they can't do that. And I think that that might be something you see in the future. The last time we spoke to you, I feel oh, sorry. Go on, I was going to say to to, uh, to Nick, I just looked at what Carlos said about CJ. Um, <laughs> he <and> wasn't impressed. <laughs> I, I'm going to put this in the damned by faint praise category. He said that CJ Gardner Johnson was the most noteworthy of many ho home one year deals. <laughs> oh man! What a ringing endorsement <laughs> that is. <laughs> the most noteworthy. Well, hey, that's true, I guess. <laughs> Not ho hum. I like that. That's one of the best signings in the league. Yeah, we we like <laughs> so, CJ yeah. a lot. We like yeah. CJ a lot. I think we. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the last time we spoke with you, you you had Chris Burke beside you, who I know is still kind of, but yeah, he's kind he's of around. gone gone to the draft on on the athletic. But you've brought in Colton, and the, mm-hmm. you know the podcast is still going great, and the articles are still fantastic on Thank on you. the athletic. You had a an article drop today, I think earlier today, and you've obviously had loads come out and probably yeah. quite a few more to come still. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what's what's coming up? Yeah, we actually did our uh, mock draft mailbag today. We ran Colton and I uh, went through and we asked for people. I think we got like seventy or eighty responses. Where we had fans 
do maybe more than that uh mock drafts and then we picked like 10 of them and we broke them all down colton also wrote a story this week on okuda which i thought was pretty good and we talked about that on the podcast this week as well the other thing i have uh tomorrow actually on friday i have a three-round mock draft uh league-wide coming out tomorrow as well so lots of busy stuff uh on the horizon for us at the athletic as always though fantastic and don't forget to follow nick at nick baumgartner on twitter but yes, Nick, sir. thank you so much for coming on again. It's you amazing. Bet, guys. Anytime. You, Love it. The live chat explodes every time you're on. So, awesome. Yeah. Your, your podcast gets gets me home from work every week. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Glad to do it and glad to help. Anytime. Thanks for coming, Nick. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it. Thank you, Nick. Bye. You Cheers. bet. Anytime. Cheers. Oh, thanks to Nick for coming on the show today. Absolutely fantastic stuff from him. Great insight. Always good to have him here. Don't forget to check out the College Podcast from yesterday where they looked at dynasty rankings for rookies. And our next show on Monday, the April 10th, is the live Lions 7 round mock draft where we reveal who we think the Lions are picking and when trades allowed, everything goes. Don't forget that we've got that giveaway running until 7pm ET tomorrow. Do go and check that out. It's absolutely free. You can find it on the YouTube description of this episode just remains for me to thank my co-host Steve for being an absolute trooper once again doing a great interview with Nick. Don't forget to follow us on our socials, Royal The Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and the website rotluk.com. Thanks for checking it out. Do give us a rating and review if you can. You know it makes a great big deal of difference to us small um, streamers and podcasters. It's, it means the world to us. So please do, we'll get in touch. Uh, email addresses on the YouTube channel as well. But for now, hope you have a great weekend, a great Easter, and we'll see you on the other side for some more great draft content. Thanks. Mm-hmm.